This is NBR's Live from the Hive, a compilation of the week's top stories straight out of the beehive. Do you have something to add? Head over to nbr.co.nz and join the discussion. This is Beehive Banter. If you remember last week, I said, who knows what will happen in the next seven days? Well, some commentators are saying the Labour government has just lost the election. But have they? Before I speak to Brent Edwards, MBR's political editor, I'd like us to all play a little game. Now, it's called Name the Minister. So, at the moment, the Prime Minister is Chris Hipkins. The Minister of Finance is Grant Robertson. But now, also, lead role for Tairawhiti. Then Minister of Justice is Kitty Allen. No, 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 sorry, sorry. Hang on. <laughs> it's now Ginny Anderson, who's also the Minister of Police and Minister for the Digital Economy and Communications, Seniors and Small Business and Associate Minister for Treaty of Waitangi Negotiations. The Minister of Regional Development is Kira McAnulty, now also has Rural Communities, but also Minister, as I said, Regional Development, Emergency Management, Racing and Rural Communities, Minister of Local Government and Deputy Leader of the House. Barbara Edmonds is now Revenue Minister because David Parker is basically pissed off over his tax direction being dumped and wanted out, using the word untenable. But Barbara relinquishes her associate health to other ministers, Damien O'Connor, who said over the Kerry Allen debacle, that's the debacle we can't talk about because it involves mental health, that shit happens, is now associate transport on top of his current trade role, plus Minister of Agriculture and Export Growth and Biosecurity and Land Information and Associate Minister of Transport. I'm confused. And apparently so is the Prime Minister, who also couldn't name one of his ministers earlier this week. Although, to be fair, no one can. Can they, Brent? Joe Luxton. Joe <laughs> Luxton is the Minister of Customs. But to be <laughs> fair, to be fair to, to the Prime Minister, it was one of those gotcha questions, the Customs Minister is not a position that gets a lot of profile. In fact, last year... She put out five statements related to this customs. This is not about And this year, that. so far, two statements. So, but, <laughs> but you're right. This I is mean, about it, the cluster. The cluster. Of giant proportions. I mean, no one knows who's doing what, when, why, wherefore. Well, well, there is obviously no talent. There's no appetite to appoint anyone new. There's no time oh, to, and no one well, knows who's doing what. Well, look, I mean... But people do know, people have got these responsibilities and they do know what they're meant to be doing, whether they're doing it or not. I mean, the argument about, I know that the argument has been, oh, this is a, a reflection on the fact that the Prime Minister doesn't have talent that he could bring back. Well, it is a reflection on that. Well, yeah, but I, th I think his argument that, look, it's only, basically they'll have about a month in the job and they're into an election campaign. It's pretty quick to bring a new minister in. So, you know, it's... It's six of one, half dozen the other. I mean, I can understand the opposition will argue the case that lack of talent. Um, but, you know, you can understand actually there's... And, and one of the things, too, we've always argued about is that our executive is far too large. <laughs> and now we're complaining because they're shrinking well, the numbers. Well, because we're, you know, taxpayers are saving a bit I'm of money. I'm sorry. How can any minister who has about 10 portfolios do any one of them justice? Um, well... I don't want to mention justice, justice. but, you know, yeah. Well, you know, it is possible in the sense that ministers aren't necessarily meant to be in there, you know, in the nitty-gritty doing all of that. I mean, they've got departments to do all of that work. Their job is to to oversee and govern and to ensure that the government's policy, I guess, is being put into effect. How can Grant Robertson oversee the budget and, you know, all the money stuff when he's up visiting Tairawhiti? Well, he's already up visiting Tairawhiti because... As, well, he should be looking at the as, money. As Minister of Finance and also he's a minister in charge of the, the recovery from... So <sighs> it, that, that one did make sense and it probably ought not to actually increase 
his workload that much because he would have been talking to those people anyway in his other roles. You're missing my point. I want to carry on and change things. David Parker, he says he's a team player. How can he be when he's basically turned around and said he has no confidence in the Prime Minister? Yeah, well, that is interesting. And, you know, if it hadn't been for the Kerry Allen um, debacle, which it would led, have hit the headlines led this to thing, her bigger. resignation and stuff, it would have been a bigger story, no doubt about it. Um, I mean, his argument, I mean, you can look at it two ways. Yes, he's got no confidence in the Prime Minister, this is a government divided, etc. Or from a point of view of him, you could say, oh, this is a principal decision. He's always been obviously keen on some sort of wealth tax, capital gains tax, had been doing work as the revenue minister on that. Um, The cabinet delayed it and it didn't go into the budget, but what he's responded to has been then a captain's call by um, Chris Hipkins as prime minister and as leader of the Labour Party that under his leadership they will not take this any further. So he said, right... He said it's untenable. I, I, yeah, I can't stay on his revenue because he his heart's not in it. So no, get something else. Then he's not a team player. Well, not a team player, or was Chris Hipkins not a team player by making a he's captain's a, the call? He's the prime minister. He's allowed to do that. Well, yeah. Uh, sometimes prime ministers, though, when they make captains' calls, perhaps should think about, you know, whether the rest oh, of the team I will hope, be. No, Mr. Prime Minister Hipkins, I hope you're listening to Brent. Sometimes you should listen and not make well, those captains' calls. I think both of calls. them have said that they still. Have a good relationship, and, and at the moment, there's no sense that somehow um, David Parker is going to be the centre of some rebellion against Chris Hipkins. No, that's, but but now that the caucus is apparently leaking, that's the start of a downward spiral, isn't it? That well, if it carries on, yes. I mean, uh, this yes. Have Labor lost the election? Because at what point? Do, another commentator say they have, but I'm just not too sure. But at what point do the public say, actually, enough with all this? It's just we don't want them anymore. Look, you and I have talked about this a number of times. We, yeah. I mean, even before all this stuff happened with ministers, yeah. you talked about the economy, inflation, etc. going to make it tough for Labor. You've had this run of ministers, you know, getting into trouble for different reasons. It's a gallop. And so on the surface, you'd think Labor's got no show of forming the next government. But so far in the polls, it still shows the gap is small enough that you cannot write Labour Yeah, but Labor the poll off. was before the Kerry Allen thing. I know, but... but and before the Parker thing. Oh, no, but we've... Yeah, but it came after Stuart Nash <laughs> thing. The earlier Kerry Allen thing. The Michael Wood yeah. thing. The Mecca Fighteri thing. So... Oh, please, a, stop. And in this case, actually, I'm just wondering. I don't know, but will That's the public... That's unusual. Will the public give, give, if you like, some sympathy towards Kerry Allen? I mean, this is an issue related... It's not sympathy about Kerry Allen. It's sympathy yeah. now the Labour government... Yeah, but this is an issue around her, her resigning because she obviously... You know, I, I, we as know I said what, before, we're not allowed to talk about it. Well, we, we know the incident that happened where she had a car crash, she got arrested by police, being charged with careless driving and failing to accompany an officer. But it related, obviously, to very deep personal distress. I don't want to talk rather about that. Than, no, I'm just saying, rather than the issues related to Stuart Nash and Michael Wood for not following the Cabinet value, not doing Here's what Here's what the public see, another one. That's what they see, but they also might see no, that more. You know, so I, I, all I th- say is it's too early to say that no, that's the end yeah, of... Well, let's find out next poll. Anyway, on the upside <laughs> for Hipkins, a meeting between uh, Hipkins and Albanese, the Australian uh, Prime Minister, and Anthony Blinken, the US Secretary of State, although not really here to see him as opposed to a football match. Uh, make it might be a little bit easier to go to Australia. We might just have these magic gates that recognise us and we walk through. We waltz through. Yeah, well, they both made it. But it's going to take a year. 
or or at least, although actually Anthony Albanese said he hoped it could be done quicker, and also commitments around trying to, again, do more work on easing. Well, it won't be quicker because they've told us someone to take a year to try and figure it out. Yes, and Albanese said in the news conference yesterday he hoped that they would come back earlier than that with Um, some recommendations. Right, well, the fact that we're good mates now, uh, what else? Would you reckon AUKUS was on the agenda? Um, AUKUS was certainly discussed between um, Anthony Blinken and the Foreign Minister Nanaima Huta, and I guess it was put this way again. I think they really repeated what comments have been made already. You know, the Americans are saying it's open for New Zealand to engage in Pillar 2. This is this thing around technology, which isn't linked into the nuclear power subs if they want to. Uh, Nanaima Huta is saying, well, our non-nuclear stance remains. They're not going to get anything like Pillar 1. But at the moment, officials are working on trying to understand what it would all mean. At some point when they do understand what Pillar 2 would mean, something will go to Cabinet and then Cabinet will consider it. And then the Chinese will be very upset. Now, on top of all this this weekend, Labor have to decide who is on the list (laughs) and a new candidate for the East Coast electorate. Probably easy to find a new candidate for that electorate, but let me ask you, could the Nats take it back? Because they've had it a lot of times in the past. Well, you know, they ha- they have. I mean, so, you know, you, it's it's a seat that was I mean, ne- never going yeah. to be secure for actually for Kerry Allen if she'd stayed in the um, in the race. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, there is a strong possibility that the National Party would take it back, particularly when you look at the polls, which have seen, obviously, the, the 50% vote that Labor got in the last election you know, is now, they're not going to get that. No. I mean, so in a polling in the sort of low 30s or so, um, you'd think that would be reflected too in the electorate vote. Who's so, going to be gone on that list, do you think? Any, well, th- any thoughts about who literally will be out of this building? Oh, well, not Apart specifically. quite a lot of them. Yeah, quite a lot of them. So, I mean, there'll be there'll be a number of Labour MPs worried. I mean, and the... the Who's the, the most well-known worried? I haven't looked at the list today, Grant, to be able to tell you that, I'm sorry. So very political. Cameron Bagri said this week, even worse times ahead, he said, with up to, he reckons, 400,000, possibly, on benefits, over 10% of the workforce, as we head into the election. You're hearing that. that. Well, 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 that that is not 10% unemployment, because, I mean, the unemployment figures are... No, 10%, no, on on benefits. I know, well, yeah, but they're on benefits, but they're not, if you're not, they're not all able to work anyway, so... All I'm saying, it's not, if you say 10% of the workforce, you're oh, applying 10% unemployment. Right. It's, it's a not, bad figure. It is a bad figure, but we've been there before. When? Back in the end of the 1990s, when we actually had a much smaller population. In fact, we were over more than that. So what, 25 years ago? Yeah, yeah. But when the population was much smaller. So, I mean, it is a worry, and, but you have to, I suppose, expect that if we're in recession, or even if we're not in recession, but we're in a, a period where the economy is basically just stuttering along, you will get it is stuttering you, along. You will get a rise in unemployment, which will largely be adding to those it's just, figures. It's not good. Look, I briefly want to bring it because we're running out of time uh, to the minor, maybe holding balance of power parties. <laughs> the Greens, no party should take our support for granted. New Zealand first, a tax cut policy, but short on details. Act well, we know what they want because they've been firing up policy for a while. And to Party Mari. Uh, this week, tax-free band of up to 30k, property tax, high corporate tax, foreign companies tax, saying, oh yeah, we're, we're going to bring this in. Um, and here's something out of left field. Do you think that the Nats are silently hoping that Winston gets back in as a foil for X policies that they want to bring in? No. No. no? I, just thought that, I just thought, well, it I'm, actually it might work in this favour. 
come on, the most difficult thing for Christopher Luxon would be to wake up after you know the day after the election and know he has to talk to both David Seymour well, and to Winston Peters to try to put together government. How, you, if you talk about the coalition of chaos, how stable would that be? Yeah, but it might stop those those you know act policies that no one wants and from getting in. Well, you know, actually, I mean, within the National Party, there would be a lot of sympathy for a lot of those act policies. So, I mean, I you know, they I think would be able to relatively more easily reach a compromise about how far you would go on some of these things. <sighs> I mean, for instance, ACT has put out a policy they really want a lot more toll roads, etc. Oh, well, Nation- I don't care about National that. National has fine. a policy where they would look at those things. So, they, that, the issue you can... On tax, well, National's policy is to, um, you know, lift the um, income thresholds at which those, you know, tax rates apply. ACT obviously has a more radical tax cut plan, but I'm sure yep. they'd reach a compromise. Can we put up with three more three more months of this? It's not quite three months, so you don't oh, have to put up with three months. It? What is it? It's, what is it? About two and a half months. Can we now? put up with two and a half more months of this? What of you talking like this, doing this? No, my brilliant analysis. <laughs> <laughs> the house is sitting well, again well, next week. You're going to have to, <laughs> unless you're <head> off. <laughs> the house is sitting again next week. Then what? House sits next week. Then there's a week's recess, and then there's another three weeks sitting, and that is it. And that's Parliament it. Parliament Right. Then we're all and, into it. All right. Well, we're already all into it, but that's when yeah, I okay. suppose everyone's out. Uh, which minister is going to be sacked next or quit next week? Well, you know, it was extraordinary at his post-cabinet right press so conference. Every week. You know. Chris Hipkins made a comment about you know how he was focused on trying yeah. to you know help all New Zealanders etc. Right. And he basically seemed to something about he wished everyone in the cabinet would be, you know he must walk into <laughs> cabinet meetings every Monday and think who's next. You know they should just and, do spin the wheel and, and go who's gone today. And you know I mean I you know if if you'd said to me at the beginning of the year that say for instance Michael Wood and Kerry Allen would both be gone as ministers this year I would have laughed at you. But I, you you laugh at me anyway. I know but. So who knows? Who, know. who who knows? I mean, you surely can't imagine someone else is going to fall over. Oh, but oh, but you oh, c- yes, you can. cannot rule you it can't. out. No, that is beehive banter. And I don't know about you, Brent, but I'm pretty bantered out this week. But anyway, we've got a week to recover. See you next time. NBR are offering a free trial to newcomers. See what all the fuss is about on our flagship website, nbr.co.nz. As New Zealand and Australia celebrate 40 years of CER, what more can be done to bring the two economies closer together? I'm joined by New Zealand co-chair of the Australia-New Zealand Leadership Forum, Greg Lowe. Now, you, you had your annual get-together the other week. I mean, what, what are the main outcomes that people want to see in terms of pushing the relationship, the economic relationship, on Well, uh, Brent, first of all, I think uh, it's good to think about the context in in which this discussion is sitting. So the ANZ Leadership Forum brings business and government leaders together every year or so, um, uh, one side of the Tasman or the other. Uh, We had a very successful forum last year in Sydney with a lot of government and business representation, and we followed that up with another forum in Wellington last week. Um, And and this year uh, is the 40th anniversary of the Closer Economic Relations Agreement. Um, and so this is a good time to think about how's that agreement going and, and what things can we advance. So the, the business on both sides of the Tasman works under the CER framework in, in what ideally um, is a single economic market. 
Um, and quite often that's the case, but it's not always the case. And so CER was signed 40 years ago. Um, it's, uh, it's quite easy to look at that agreement and say, well, it's a great agreement. It helps trade um, uh, be relatively seam seamless, both sides of the Tasman. Um, that doesn't mean that we can't improve it. And, uh, and so what we're looking for is to say to, to, um, to both governments, well, uh, the first 40 years has been fantastic. Um, it's uh, it's created a, a relatively open market between Australia and New Zealand. Um, trade officials often refer to CER as the gold standard of free trade agreements. I think it might have been New Zealand's first free trade agreement. Um, uh, but that doesn't mean we can't approve it. And um, and so so areas like um, uh, seamless travel across the border. Um, uh, using digital technologies to make the travel process simpler and, and more efficient, um, using digital technologies to make trade more efficient. Both countries have a, um, a digital agreement with um, a digital treaty with Singapore, but not with each other. Um, and so there's quite a lot of paper-based trade that still goes um, on across the Tasman. Um, there's a there's a huge amount of activity that, that happens in both countries around uh, um, uh, Indigenous business and the Indigenous business groups under the banner of the ANZ Leadership Forum work together quite closely and so um, so working to enhance um, the relationship between Indigenous business groups under CER is an area that all of these things are things that weren't contemplated 40 years ago. Um, so um, Indigenous business, um, um, uh, sorry, yeah. And sorry, I mean, one of the things too, and, and I, th I think it's been talked about for a long time now, and that's around aligning um, standards around professional accreditation, um, tax and the like. But we we don't seem to get much movement on that. What, what's, what's holding back progress there to just make it easier for businesses and, and workers, I guess, to, to work and move back and, back and forth across the Tasman? Yeah, one of the things we would like to see is, uh, of course, is the um, this recognition of imputation credits and franking credits, um, both sides of the of the Tasman. That's a, that's a pretty important um, um, tax improvement. I mean, at, at at the moment, there's kind of a double tax arrangement going on, um, depending you know where country um, where where companies base their investment. Um, so that would be that would be good to improve. Um, that that there, you know there, there seems to be pretty slow progress on um, on that discussion. Um, uh, the, um, is that, is the that because certain, sorry? Is that because I, both governments fear losing a bit of tax by by doing it? Well, there certainly is an alignment on uh, on. I think the New Zealand government would like to see that happen. Um, there's some reluctance on behalf of the Australian government, um, and you know I think we'd like to see um, some more some more open conversation about that and about how to resolve that issue. It's been a bit of a long-standing issue. You, you also, I think um, that report. Sorry, makes the point too, um, and I presume it was discussed at the meeting about the need for both countries as part of CR to perhaps present a more, um, I guess, unified face to the rest of the world. And I, I wondered, I guess, we've got the uh, FIFA Women's World Cup going on. If that's a sporting example of the two countries getting together, do, do you want to see more of that happening in the business space? Yeah, well, the the the. Um 
CER and the and and is, is focused on business between our two countries. But certainly, there's an opportunity for both of us to work together um, to to face the world in a more coordinated way. We don't always have to compete. So we're both facing the world from this corner of the um, of the globe, uh, and doing that together sometimes would be would would make sense. Um, how how we work together in the Pacific is one example. Um, uh, how we uh, uh, how we attract tourism is another example. So, uh, uh, most tourists travel to this region on in a in a um, long haul service, and uh, and so things like a common tourist visa um, would uh, would would assist in bringing people into this part of the world, getting them to stay here for longer. Um, and sharing the experience across Australia and New Zealand. So I think there's a there's a few things like that that we can think about that would enhance the um, uh, the the opportunity to to maximise the benefit for both countries. I think the report also makes clear about the issues around skill shortages for both countries, but also comments are obviously around the fear around poaching, and that in the end both are trying to poach off the other, if you like. Um, and I guess when you look at the, the respective economies, it's probably more likely Kiwis heading over the ditch to Australia. Um, how, how can that issue be dealt with? Well, I, I think the opportunity is for greater collaboration um, around uh, around things like immigration, um, training, how we're addressing uh, skill shortages in certain sectors. So, uh, so at the forum last week, we had a, a first meeting between defence sectors and space sectors in both countries. Now, there's a skill shortage in um, in, in both countries. Uh, uh, if, if we just try to resolve that by one country poaching staff from the other, then we're not going to make a real advance. Whereas if we get businesses to collaborate together and work together, uh, then we might have an opportunity to build up the businesses in both countries and support each other. So that's about making sort of Australasia, if you like, an attractive proposition rather than each individual country? Yeah, so so people coming to this part of the world to work, but also businesses working together to meet the demands in those sectors, and uh, and so so uh, looking at how businesses can collaborate to meet the skills demand and grow and and grow the skills and capability in both countries to service both markets. Look, a few years ago at the forum, there were there were some discussions around the idea of a common currency. Is that idea completely off the agenda now, or, or does that still get talked about on the sidelines? Uh, certainly, no discussion this year around that, and uh, and that's that's not something which I think is being advanced by or being promoted by either business groups or government groups in either country. Um, uh, so I think that's I think you know that that's um, common currency means fiscal union, and uh, and I, I you know I don't, I don't I don't think we're really heading down that path. Um, uh, but we certainly, you know, each country wants to maintain its um, its own sovereign direction. But there is a lot of opportunity for us to continue to build upon the the strengths that we've created over the last forty years. I mean, comments too about um, making uh, New Zealand and Australia a single investment market. How would that work? How how do you do that? Yeah, look, I'm I'm not sure that I'm best placed to comment um, on that. Uh, I, you know, I, I I think I think one way to address that that we would like to see is um, is a a more seamless operation um, 
across the border so that business can work together across the border more easily. Um, uh, you talked about standards recognition, um, uh, qualifications recognition. The more we can do to treat each other uh, and, and to recognise each other from a standards perspective as being the same, uh, then the easier it is to collaborate across that border. So, you know, I think I, I think if we think about about um, about foreign investment coming in, for example, what that might do to create um, uh, economic activity, how can that economic activity be supported by both countries together? Greg Lowe, thank you for your time. Thanks very much. Kitty Allen has become the fifth minister to leave the executive this year, making a bad year for the government even worse. To discuss, let's get to MBR's political editor, Brent Edwards. So, Brent, what about this roll call of ministers who have been sacked or resigned? Yeah, well, it starts obviously with the former Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern, who I guess shocked quite a few people in January when she yeah. um, stood down as Prime Minister, saying that she had no petrol left in the tank, no gas in the tank. Um, but since then, you've seen Stuart Nash obviously essentially sacked under a cloud, uh, Michael Wood again under a cloud, uh, Mecca Fateri leave of her mm. own accord, but quite abruptly and without really certainly the Prime Minister knowing until she just walked out the door and has gone off to, to Pāti Māori, although at the moment she's seen as an independent within Parliament. And now Kerry Allen, um, again, uh, all, all you know, slightly different circumstances, obviously um, Jacinda Ardern, that was a decision made by her, um, and you know, you can understand that given, I guess, the pressures that she'd been under in her um, five years as Prime Minister. Um, but each of the, I mean, then Stuart Nash and Michael Wood, both over issues in terms of how they uh, manage conflicts of interest and other things in terms of their ministerial responsibilities. Um, in the case of Kerry Allen, a different circumstance, um, under criticism around the way she apparently dealt with some of her ministerial staff, but then obviously um, with some specific mental health issues um, that she's struggling with, and um, I think everyone's been very, she's been open about that, and it's very clear about um, the circumstances then that you know led to the incident on Sunday night where she ended up being arrested by police, charged with careless driving and failing to accompany an officer. Yeah, what's been the political reaction to that? Well, the, the political reaction uh, specifically to Kerry Allen is kind of interesting. You know, all politicians from all parties expressing great concern and, and, and care for her, um, you know, saying that the matter of mental health um, should be taken very seriously. And I guess acknowledging that perhaps in this place still in Parliament, those sorts of issues aren't necessarily dealt with that well for people who are under quite a lot of pressure, uh, whether you're a minister or, e or even as an MP. But then at the same time, the opposition obviously using it to attack the government and criticise, and particularly criticise um Chris Hipkins, you know, basically saying, you know, well, he's lost, what, four ministers mm. under his watch, um, and that points to his failing to manage people that, that he'd given both Stuart Nash and Michael Wood numerous opportunities, and they'd, they'd failed him, and then he'd had to either sack them or basically tell them their position was untenable and they resigned. Uh, and then in the case of Kerry Allen being criticised again for not having shown enough concern to have, you know, perhaps... Um, as National Party leader Christopher Luxon said, required some sort of um, assurance from a health professional that she was well enough to come back to work. What's your take on Hipkins' response? 
Look, you know, in, in all those cases, and Hipkins, Chris Hipkins says they're all different um, cases, and in a sense they were, and he says that in all cases he acted at the time on the information he had, but then more information came to light. Mm. And that is correct. In, 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 in the case of, of Stuart Nash, um, around issues about um, Nash having um, communicated with, with donors on issues related to cabinet decisions, um, you know, and... More and more information came out. Initially, it seemed to be, yep, that was it. That was the end of the matter after, you know, the criticism that Nash had rung the mm. police commissioner and given him some advice about what the police should do, which was a no-no. Um, but so I think the Prime Minister had to take ministers at their word when they said, no, there's nothing else. And then, of course, each time it came out, the same with Michael Wood over whether he had declared um, shareholdings that he had um, which were relevant to his role as a cabinet minister, but also that he should have declared um, as part of the um, Register of Pecuniary Interests for MPs. Well, how bad is this for the government? Look, it's not great. I mean, if, you know, look, putting Jacinda Ardern to one side, I mean, her, her resignation, but, you know, to lose, like, certainly four ministers in those sorts of circumstances, one deserting the ship, so to speak, um, in such a short space of time... Um, you know, it does give a look of a government that is in trouble. And certainly, I mean, um, Christopher Luxon paints a picture of a, a government falling apart. I don't think it is falling apart, but it, it's not a great look. I mean, that's almost, you know, a fifth of the executive gone. Mm. And so, uh, yeah, for, for the government, um, it's, it's the worst timing to an election year. I mean... Each time he's had to deal with an, an errant minister, you know, Chris Hipkins has obviously thought, and, and each time after Stuart Nash, he has said, he said to the rest of his ministerial colleagues, are there, are there any other problems? You know, right, no, 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 no. Well, are there? And then something else comes out. So mm. to be honest, with what is it, um, under 90 days to go to the election? Under, uh, under 80 now. Under 80 now. Yeah, yeah. But you couldn't say, and I'm sure Hipkins can't say confidently, there might not be another ministerial mishap in that period. Mm. In the meantime, though, he's given uh, bigger workload to the remaining MPs and executive. Yeah, yeah well, that's right. And, uh, and his, I think his explanation for that is, is fair enough. It's too late in the piece to bring in new ministers. I mean, they'd come in, they'd get the induction, et cetera, get their feet under the desk, and then they'd be into an election campaign. They'd have no time to... So I, I think, you know, that... that the, the argument, I think, from ACT leader David Seymour is he's got no talent less. But I, I think, actually, uh, the Prime Minister's explanation about that is, is a, a reasonable one. There is no point at a, such a late stage to bring new ministers in. Mm. Brent Edwards, thank you. Like what you're hearing? Join the discussion with our member subscribers at our website, nbr.co.nz. Does David Parker's resignation as Revenue Minister signal deeper problems for Prime Minister Chris Hipkins? NBR columnist Bridget Morton thinks so, and she joins me now. So what's, what the, the big problem here is, um, I mean, clearly David Parker was keen on a wealth tax, capital gains tax, what have you. Hipkins squashed it. So has he made the right decision to resign? I think from the portfolio, absolutely, but it hasn't made it that clean. I mean, for the, in the first instance, he wasn't just keen on it. I think he's probably dedicated quite a lot of his ministerial career to getting to the point that they did before the budget. I think, secondly, by resigning just his portfolio and not the other portfolios he has, he's still bound by cabinet 
um, collective responsibility. So he kind of gave himself a free pass while retaining all the benefits and still therefore being a problem for Hipkins. So what, do you think he, because um, I think um, Chris Bishop put out a statement seem, suggesting that he's breached cabinet collective responsibility. Yeah, there's some indications about it in the fact that once you, you know, the convention is once you agree to something in Cabinet, everyone toes the line. And I think before this resignation, we know on the last week's caucus run and things, he talked about being disappointed. It was really clear to everyone that he was not on board. But isn't the difference here, this was not a Cabinet decision. This was a captain's call. This well, was the Prime Minister's decision. Well, there was two elements to the decision. You've got to remember, first of all, that it was the first of all the decision was to scrap all of it before the budget and not put any of it in. The second bit, which is possibly the new part, is the fact that Hipkins made, as you say, what we think was a captain's call, didn't consult on whether or not to rule it out almost, let's say, forever. But I think actually that second decision, the Cabinet Manual actually says that this is the type of thing you're meant to bring actually to Cabinet is something that would have significant consequences like this. So I think it's really difficult for them to argue that he was not bound by what his Prime Minister had done. But, but given everything he'd done, and you know, even I think from probably the cabinet minutes and that, it was clear that he was supportive. It was hardly likely that he could say well, he didn't support it now, could he? I mean, well, I think you know, you saw what Robinson did. I mean, you could clearly see that Robinson also wanted to progress with these tax reforms. He came out very strongly. He was the one carrying the can with Hipkins overseas. He talked about being a team player. He talked about this not being the right time. That's exactly the same line that Parker could have taken. So, do you think this has undermined Hipkins' leadership? perhaps more seriously than the questions about how he's handled a, a range of errant ministers who are now no longer ministers. I think in many ways this signals what's been kind of happening under, you know, underground kind of while we've been waiting, or as I say, while he became Prime Minister, because for him, he never had that unfettered loyalty that Jacinda Ardern had. He had to build, I think, a lot of those relationships. Every time that you treat, you know, you got to deal with a minister in a sort of, let's say, negative way, it breaks down some of those relationships because those people and their colleagues feel like they're at risk, how would they be dealt with? It just creates a bit of distrust, I think. But I think in particular with this decision, making that captain's call knowing so many of his colleagues and party members were very keen on tax reform, made it particularly hard for him to look like he actually was himself a team player. And I think more people, given also the connection with the falling polls, are going to be more concerned about what he's doing than perhaps they were before. I mean, presumably he might feel less supported by his Cabinet colleagues, given how many ministers have fallen by the wayside since he took over as Prime Minister. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's got rights to be angry with you know, your Michael Woods and your Stuart Nashes because they are the ones alone that walked, I think, head, you know, head straight into those problems that they created. So there's no doubt, obviously, he can feel unsupported in that way. But obviously, one of the key things, even when you're in opposition, is about unity of your caucus. I think making such a major decision goes to the base and therefore so extreme that your key minister on this has to um, step away from it indicates that he hasn't got that unity that he perhaps would like. You, I think you suggest that after the election his leadership might be under threat, even if Labor did manage to win another term. Yeah, I think so, because if you know that the only way they're going to win another term is in a coalition, most likely Greens and most likely Te Pāti Māori on top of that as well. That's a really hard group to keep together. I think he's had some experience, obviously, in the previous coalition with New Zealand First and the Greens, but that combined with the fact it's probably only going to be a very marginal result if they do get over the line. The fact that he's broken, I think, some of the trust with his colleagues, I think it makes it way more likely that there could be a Prime Ministerial um, rollover bid. Given, I mean, given that, you know, when he took over the leadership, Labour was already, you know, struggling in the polls. 
you've then had a range of ministerial mishaps. I mean, people can question about maybe how he's handled them, but certainly they weren't his responsibility. And as he's pointed out, most of them relate to things that happened before he became Prime Minister. If Labour did manage to form the next government, wouldn't, they, wouldn't Labour people be saying, well done, Chris Hipkins? I think there's probably an element of if he can rescue it at this point that he will have people that will congratulate him for it, particularly those one or two MPs that are on that point of the list in which they get saved of, um, of rather than falling out. But I do think you've got to look at what the sort of longevity of that is. I think Jacinda Ardern had that loyalty because in some ways she got together by not holding many of her coalition sorry, many of her colleagues um, to account possibly why Hipkins says he's kind of left with these problems. He's taken much more of a stronger um, position on that. As I say, that's going to make it harder for some of his colleagues, the friends of the people that he has made resign, to actually support him going forward. Okay, Matt, if, you know, now we're speculating a bit now. Yeah, we're very speculating right now. But but let's carry on. I mean, if there were a challenge after the election, who? Because I guess most people would have thought that um, Michael Wood and Kerry Allen were potentially future leaders. They're they're out of it now. Yeah, well I think if you look back at sort of when Labour was going through their darkest days and it's reflective, you know, I think when National also going through leadership challenges, it made a whole lot of people come to the surface who previously may not have been thought of as those front runners. You know that say your Megan Woods has done a lot of heavy lifting. Grant Robinson I think has perhaps always seen himself in that kind of position so you might see them pick their heads up but then you've got people like Parker. Parker absolutely, he's previously run for leadership, he sees that he's got a values to go forward. That's the type of candidate that puts in themselves up in those kind of situations. Bridget Morton, thanks for your time. And that's been this week's Live from the Hive. Thanks for listening.